previously on Box Cutters. So it's Andy Anderson in uh, The Straits. Yes, yes, in, in The Straits, playing a totally Aussie bloke. Yeah. Because that's his role. Because, uh, yeah, they couldn't get enough New Zealanders into that show otherwise. Yeah. They just <laughs> keep shoving them in there somewhere. They thought Brian Cox was from New Zealand. They were so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so disappointed. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 293, crowdfriending. It's the way of the future. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Now, John Richards, you, you have a show starting this Wednesday night at 9.30 on the ABC. Should we mention it? Uh, I, just, I just wanted to know, so there's no conflict of interest because you're... You're doing a show about television. You've made a show about television. We've never mentioned it before. Never, never. But you've created a show called Outland that will be yeah. on ABC 9.30 on Wednesday nights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a comedy about a gay science fiction club. But you're not going to use that... You're not going to use that as a, a reason to have anything on this show. No, 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 of course. Because, you know, it's important we keep our, our integrity and our, our journalistic... You know ethics and, yeah. and keep that separation between our projects and, and the show that we make. Hmm. Great. So c- coming up later in this show, we have an interview with uh, Paul Ireland, yes. who uh, is is an actor. Uh, you might see him. Uh, is he on anything at the moment? He's in Outland, right? Yeah, which starts this Wednesday on ABC One at nine thirty. Right, you wrote that show. <laughs> yeah, I did. Is that Crazy. this is just a coincidence? Yeah, yeah. yeah who yeah. booked who booked him to come on the show? Oh, I did. Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, right. we'll, be, we'll be talking about his work in Neighbours and in The Bill and uh, Underbelly. We don't talk about Underbelly, but yeah, we could. Right. Are we going to talk about Outland? Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Which starts when? Wednesday, nine thirty. Okay. ABC One. Okay. Also, Nellie Thomas is coming in to uh, to talk about Excess Baggage She's and, and Fattest Loser. Uh, Christian, I knew though. Who's in Outland? Is in Excess Baggage, which Nellie Thomas will be talking yes. about later in the show. It comes full circle. Excess baggage is due to be cancelled 9.30 Wednesday night. (laughs) Look, look, can we mention that? Because, yes, sorry, we are recording this, obviously, in the past. We don't mention this in the excess baggage bit. But um, by the time you're hearing this, it quite possibly is on go. It's on Channel 9 when we're recording this. But rumour is that it's it's probably going to maybe last one more week. And then then move move to go. Go to go. Yeah. Go to go. So she's going to come and talk about excess baggage and uh, and, and fatty loser. Uh, We've got uh, one thing. We've got pork with some lettuce. We're going to shove the letters into pork because uh, it's a packed show. Mm. Packed show. So we're going to stuff the pork with letters. Yeah, smuggle it in. <laughs> you make it sound even dirtier, Brett. What? <laughs> As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the box cutters news. Brett, there is such a thing as an illegal subscription television service. Yes, there is. Uh, <laughs> Who knew? Uh, are we talking about the uh, the pirates that uh, got taken down in Sydney over the weekends? Uh, they were they were they were pirating, literally pirating. Uh, well, not not with ships and and swords and stuff. <laughs> But um, uh, selling illegal cable, basically. Yeah. So, so uh, my question was going to be, who knew? The police did when they raided the, the West Sydney home. Uh, it, was, it was a unit in, in Sydney's west, and they seized USB devices, some computers and documents. The business that was raided in Sydney is based in China, and the police estimate that its illegal distribution of copyrighted material is worth some $70 million per year. People are paying for something that they could pretty much get for free, just as illegally. That's what I don't understand about this. So they, they might be getting, like, e-news stolen off a satellite and put on this other... Yeah. And but why don't they just pay for regular subscription television? Or who needs e news so desperately that they're paying for illegal subscription television? So no, no word about how much they were paying a month. Seventy million dollars a year. Uh, That's how much per subscriber. Fifty dollars. I read somewhere. Fifty dollars was a number being used. I thought it was fifty dollars for a thousand channels. Yeah, fifty dollars for a thousand channels. So it does sound like good value when you put it away. Yeah. How can I sign up? <laughs> Probably with uh, live AFL and NRL as well. Well, 
Look, in, in the words of Freddie Mercury, don't stop TV now. <laughs> oh, wait, no, he didn't say that. He just does, don't, don't stop, stop me, me now. now. Oh, right. He said the show must go on. Does that help? No, because the service is called TV Now. Oh, okay. If the service was called The Show Must Go On. Was it called Under Pressure? <laughs> <laughs> Fat Bottom Girls. Is that the service? All right, all right. Hang on, let me start this news item again. In the words of Freddie Mercury, bicycle races are starting today. <laughs> Last week, Optus was told it could continue its TV Now service that made the AFL and NRL so whingy <laughs> towards the end of last year. Do you know how whingy they were? They were quite whingy. Whingy and windy. <laughs> the judge said Optus could do what it was already doing, what everybody knew that it could be doing. Because what they're doing is not uh, broadcasting over their network uh, live feed of the uh, the games. It is technically, it is technically no different then, to time shifting. And then their subscribers can, can watch it after the, the fact. It is, is technically no different to someone with a television time shifting, someone with a television and a hard drive recorder time shifting a a. a, a a football match. Yep, yep. Stephen Conroy, though, is also upset about it. And he told The Age last week that the technology has now jumped ahead of the law, so we've got to find a way to get it back in balance. It is a bit of a cheat, though, really. I mean, this, it's two minutes, is that what they're saying the, the delay is now? Yeah, the, de- the delay is two minutes. But so I it can, is live. It is basically live television. But it's, I can watch, uh, through my Foxtel box, Yeah, I can watch... Uh, Live games, two minutes later, I can I can I can sling that to another part of of my room. Oh, yeah, this no, I'm, I'm saying they're, they're, they're whingy, but I think they they do have some degree of you know it is it, it does feel a bit like they've gone. That's that's not the it's not playing the game. It's not you know what it, it it's just not cricket. It's not cricket. It's not that's cricket. exactly what it is. It's football. The real losers here are Telstra, who, uh, as we said before, signed a fantastic deal. We're really. Uh, uh, forthright and and ahead of the game, ahead of the curve in terms of understanding the need for digital content. Unfortunately, they're also just a little bit behind the curve in terms of understanding how easy it is to get around these things. Is it a matter for the law, though? I mean, if if the court has said, that's fine, do we need a law that is going to protect AFL from its precious, precious dollars? No, I, I think just the contract should be more specific about what you're buying and what you can do. Like yeah, surely the contract must say you can you know play it later, but it must be at least an hour or so. You'd have to actually, I think, just write that. But into the thing contract. is, there's, but there's no there's no contract here with for broadcast for, with, for, Optus. with Optus. Right. There is no contract because what they're doing is essentially someone is scheduling it to record and then watching it a couple of minutes later. Uh, the only real losers here are Telstra. Who who signed this great deal? Oh, to, and the AFL or NRL uh, who won't get as much for those rights? Well, they'll, they'll never get those rights again. Like if, no one's ever going to pay. If this ruling stands, yeah, yeah. Telstra's never going to pay that money again. Everyone's just going to go. Well, we're just going to play it two minutes later, and that's so. And so, in, in the long run, the the football companies will they will lose out that money. Except that if there is no one to play it live, there's nothing to record it from. And if there's nothing to record it from, then nobody can watch it two minutes later. <laughs> the the advertisers still get seen because it's just being taped off the telly. So the the TV stations aren't worried about it. It's only the mobile version. So it's money that didn't exist in the past that exists now. But won't exist soon. But won't exist soon. So why not just accept it while it's here rather than whinge about it being gone? I don't think that's really how business is meant to work. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> I wish it was. John, you've got a quick story about NBC in America. And about ratings, just talking about people watching things mm-hmm. and, and how they watch it. And it turns out people, uh, when it comes to NBC, like to not watch it at all. Because NBC, this is an article from the AV Club that was headed, Why Won't You Love Them, America? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out in the most recent sweeps, this always confused me. I know you boys know what it means. What do sweeps mean again? What does it actually, actually mean? Actually, we... we well, it is uh, it is a time when affiliate stations throughout the country, so not not the major stations in the very large cities, New York, Chicago, LA, but affiliate stations throughout the rest of of America, have uh, books that go out to to people who fill out or or some such recording device, uh, and uh, and then uh, people mail them back to the ratings company. They tally them up. 
So it's but it's a four week period, and it's a big thing, isn't it? It is. Like, it is a massive thing. And actually, there's an interview that I did in New York that will be coming up in uh, in future episode of, of Box Cutters uh, with someone who uh, previously worked for the Nielsen Company in their TV ratings. So sweeps huge. A huge thing for ratings, very, very big for these companies. Remember in America, they say that officially there's, there's sort of four networks they talk about. You know, Fox, things. NBC, ABC, CBS. Yeah. Now, NBC for and its... And stars. Fir- stars. NBC for its first week of the February sweeps has fallen into a statistical tie with Univision. Univision is a Spanish language station. And it <sighs> turns out that um, NBC's audiences are getting so low that uh, 30 Rock, which, which just returned on air, posted, um, they used lots of different numbers, so we'll go through different numbers here, but uh, posted a 1.3 in the adult 18 to 49 demo, an incredibly low 1.1 in the 1834 demo, which was enough for the CW to post a time in the 1834 demo with them with the Vampire Diaries. <gasps> really? But both those shows were actually beaten in the 1834 demo by El Talisman on Univision. Which is not as good as 30 Rock, but way better than the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> well, and then it gets slightly worse for both of them, too. Parks and Recreations did uh, manage to beat both El Talisman and Vampire Diaries, which was good. But after The Office, Up All Night, which matched Parks uh, and Recreation's performance in both demos, did, however, get completely thrashed by La Que No Podia Amar, or The One That Could Not Love, on Univision, which basically it's, it's just kind of, it's really interesting to think that there's this weird thing happening in America now where NBC, one of the big things, is actually losing out to Spanish language shows, you know, which we would have thought was a very minority interest. But they, they, they let the legals uh, <laughs> well, I was say, mark their, their uh, viewing figures. You know, I was going to say this, though. There are two ways to approach it. One is to go Fox Network and go the Spanish are taking over our country, as Mr. Copley has just demonstrated. The rich people need them for their maids, for their gardeners. <laughs> yes. The other thing to say is that television is going to a point where a dedicated audience that loves something is more important and more valuable than trying to appeal to a mass market that no longer exists. But are everybody, is everybody that would normally be watching that live and putting in their figures just catching it on Hulu? Or? Well, well, so, and, and again, we don't know, because yeah, there's all these different ways of, yeah, of, of calculating this. It's given me a great idea, though, for when, uh, when Community comes back in, quote, the spring, uh, that they could do... In in the way that they do, like special special one off uh, something special episodes, they could do an episode entirely in Spanish during Sweeps Week, and, uh, and get and two audiences. Yeah. Well, well, this article actually ends saying that if there is a bright spot for fans of good TV, it's that NBC can't realistically say at this point that the problem with the Community was that it was a show nobody wanted to watch because we now have proof that America doesn't want to watch NBC on Thursdays at all, especially <laughs> when there are Spanish language talismans to be pursued. So they're saying effectively that the the, the bar for community to to get over now is quite low indeed i'm I'm interested (laughs) to know if anything's if if the advertising that they've had to accept has been affected uh because of the low viewing figures on nbc maybe that's what's driving people or why 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 is it specifically that network so Univision or NBC? You're NBC. That people are leaving NBC. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They have said that uh, NBC shows like Thirty Rock and Community particularly do really well on on the plus three and the plus seven ratings. That these are they're watched by very intelligent audiences who are also tech savvy and who tend to record them to watch them later. Mm-hmm. So those numbers will often will double. I think. You know, and, and perhaps El Taylor's Man is just watched by people at the time and isn't recorded. I don't know. But, and, that, and that would mean that NBC is is uh, harnessing the power of uh, a group of people who are not pursued by other networks. Fox and CBS don't don't have those. I don't know who watches ABC, but Fox and CBS, CBS with its three camera laughers, and Fox with its uh, lowest common denominator stuff. They don't have those tech-savvy people. So NBC has that unique audience mm. that, that they wouldn't otherwise have. And they can it just too. The numbers look terrible. They do look terrible. Or maybe look in Opodia more. It's just really good. And that is the Box Cutters News. He was a dancer, a rapper, a model. He was the guy who married Britney. Now he's divorced with five kids and drinking 24 cans of soft drink a day. He's K-Fed and tuned with an everyday Aussie. He'll fight his fat, face his demons, and change his life forever. The wait is over. Oh, but he'll have to do better than that. The wait!
night is over. The feel-good show of 2012, Nine's Excess Baggage. Nellie Thomas, you have a book coming out in April. I do. You have a baby coming out in August. <laughs> and yet you're, you're here. You're here to talk about neither of those things. As, well, neither of them are as important as, as what we're about to discuss. Fat people on television <laughs> in the dirt. My favourite subject of all time, as you well know. It will not be a stretch for me to discuss. You were keen, weren't you? Because I saw you, you tweeted. Like the oh, yeah. excess baggage was announced. You were like, I'm coming in a box cutters. Do you know why? Because... I have, as regular listeners will know, I have a love-hate relationship with Fatty Loser, a.k.a. The Biggest Loser, because I am kind of drawn to it in the way that I'm drawn to a car crash. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's morally reprehensible to watch, but I can't stop watching. But you you can't help in any way. I can't help in any way. I can't. I tape it. That's how bad it's got. (laughs) I tape it. You, You tape the fattest loser. I do. I actually tape it on the magic box. And now that I've confessed that, we can start the real discussion. When excess baggage ads came on, I thought maybe they can actually do this with some, what do you call that shit? Ethics. (laughs) Ethics, <laughs> you know. Because, because I, I, I do find Fatty Loser, you know. I mean, really, I'm a very thin man. That's probably why I, I, I have these strong feelings. But your I, socks I, keep falling. Down. They do. I, I, I find it really offensive joke. because it's, it is offensive. It's, it's clearly you at home feeling superior to some fat bastards on television and laughing at them. But but the, the defence. And I was going to ask yes you no. when you watch. Yeah. So are you relating to? Are you feeling superior to? What, Definitely your... not feeling superior to. If if I'm feeling superior to anybody, it's the trainers. Mm-hmm. Like part of it is me abusing the trainers. When Tiffany comes on, kind of going, you know, you can't be fat and happy. I think when you crack a fucking smile, bitch, I'll listen to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't feel superior to the contestants. It's more that relatable thing of going. If you've ever struggled with weight, you know, in your whole life, which I have. Of kind of going, oh, I can see where you are. I know what they're doing to you is unhealthy, like mentally and physically. I can see that. But, gee, it's nice to see you transforming too. You know, like there's something. So, so, so as, uh, you know, so many of us struggle with weight and yep. it gives that little bit of hope that, yeah, that with, hard, with hard work and, uh, and people screaming at me 24 hours a day, <laughs> yeah. maybe I could do it too. Well, and this is the problem. Because obviously there is, I can't see how you can watch that show and not see the bullying. And anyone who's been fat ever in their entire life, even if they haven't been bullied at school, knows what it feels like to be put down for being fat. So I hate that as well. I hate that aspect of watching it. Even though they're, you know, quote unquote, trying to do good, the trainers. I mean, whether they are is another thing, but let's give them Mm. the benefit of the doubt in this case. They bully the contestants, and that's my biggest problem with it. Um, And I think the difference with excess baggage, at least in the marketing, was this idea of choice. So they were very – even the fact that the contestants on excess baggage, for example, go home on weekends. So if they choose to eat a cheesecake and smoke a pack of fags, well, they're human beings and they're grown adults and they can make that choice. The only people who are denied choice are children and prisoners and the people on The Biggest Loser. Yep. That's why it's humiliating. You know, that's actually why it's infantilising, I think, because the people are being treated as children. I suspect it's also why it doesn't work long term yeah, because big- they actually don't learn any new skills. So, so excess baggage, the marketing comes on, you start seeing ads for it and they're saying, we're going to treat fat people... With like respect. humans, yeah. because they are. So we're going to acknowledge that it's not healthy for anyone to be obese. You know, we're going to acknowledge that the best case scenario is that we're all in a healthy weight range, and that's undeniable. But we're not going to humiliate people in the process and make them feel... I mean, look at the marketing. I don't know if any of you saw it for The, for the Biggest Loser this year. It is literally based on the idea that you cannot be, under any circumstances, fat and loved. My weight has you know, deeply affected my confidence when it comes to meeting boys. I've never kissed a boy. No. <laughs> I don't feel confident at my weight to approach a female and just speak to them. You know, if I don't have the confidence to look at myself in the mirror, how can I possibly give someone a loving and fulfilling relationship? The other thing with Fatty Loser that always really annoys me is the whole, the check-ins, the weigh-ins are done, like, in underwear, you know, topless, which is clearly just to humiliate them. Yeah, unnecessary. in later weeks, I think they get to put tops on. Like, when they get to the 
toward the end of the story. Oh, the singlets. They get to wear singlets. Yeah, possibly. Uh, in a way to kind of dress it up a bit, to look like, oh, it's the winning. Yeah. Whereas Excess Baggage had that thing, they're going, it's going to be based on BMIs, it's going to be actual real weight loss, and all the stuff right. which made sense, but presumably also makes bad television, I'm guessing. Well, and I think this is the interesting part of this discussion, I think, is there's three components to this. One's the marketing, because I know Excess Baggage is tanking, and I think part of it's to do with the marketing. And the other one is... Part of it's to do with the cricket. Is, yes, is the ethics of the shows compared to whether or not they're good TV, because they're separate things. Mm-hmm. You know, excess baggage is clearly more ethical. Is it? They don't even weigh people in. Like, is it is it? literally... Absolutely it is. Is, is it That doesn't is it mean ethical? it's completely ethical, but it's, it's definitely it's, more it's ethical. It's definitely more ethical, I would say. I mean, they've got a nutritionist, they've got a psychologist, they've got proper health professionals. The nutritionist's got a PhD, for goodness sake. Also, Fatty you Loser, know. they're losing amounts of weight. They're actually... Uh, unhealthy. unhealthy. Ridiculous. They're ridiculously unhealthy amounts of weight per week. And in fact, the nutritionist said on the first night when she was talking about the, the rules of the competition, if I see you under eating, I will take points off you. Like under eating, starving yourself, um, punishing yourself for being fat is going to make you fatter. So to me, that not only makes sense, but it's more ethical. They're not trying to humiliate or punish or deny people, you know, basic sustenance. But this is back to my thing about yeah. loser. Isn't that what the viewers want? Don't the viewers want to see fat people punished? I think punished? some do. I think there's definitely a smugness. I mean, you can see that in the trainers. Oh, my Lord, the, the, the moral superiority. I mean, even though I was kind of joking, I wasn't really. It's like, are, are you all really happy? Because you seem like a very angry bunch of people to be telling this group of fat people that they're all unhappy. And it just doesn't fit the narrative. They've had so many contestants on who have been morbidly obese, who've had partners, who've had children, who are successful in their careers, who, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It just doesn't make sense for them to say, you know, that you are by definition a failure if you're fat. To, to fill listeners in on, on the start of this current season of Fatty Loser, uh, they, they basically had the contestants come up to the front of the room where they had a, a room full of people, their peers, but also their friends, their family, mm. uh, and talk about uh, themselves as if in a dating yep. game or, or on a dating site, yep. that they were, they were fat, they, they were overweight, mm. and they couldn't be in a relationship mm. because of that. Or couldn't hold one. Or I couldn't mean, hold one. Even more disturbing, one, one of the guys that really stayed in my mind was he'd been married for 10 years or something, had two children, and then his wife left him, and he's in tears kind of going, basically this is because I was fat. You know, this is co-. And I'm thinking, I doubt it is, and if it is that reason, then you married the wrong person. You know, like what the hell would happen if, I don't know, you had a stroke? Not that I'm equating being fat with having a stroke, but, you know, any kind of thing that fits so-called out of the norm, what, is that acceptable for a partner to leave you? I mean, it's just shallow bullshit. Like why are you reinforcing this stuff? See, I I see them both being about punishing fat people. Yes. and and On both the shows. Both shows about punishing fat Mm. people and and about watching fat people cry because they've ruined their lives. Mm. And... I disagree, but yeah, uh, continue. And the, the excess baggage that I saw uh, from from last week. Mm. This is this is why I think they're both about punishing fat people because they had them doing uh, uh, push ups in puddles of mud mm-hmm. when there were perfectly dry bits of ground a, a few meters up. Mm. That uh, that it was it was all about humiliation. See, I mean, I, I mean, maybe because I'm watching the show simultaneously, I just don't think excess baggage comes close to the humiliation that the contestants on Fatty Loser suffer. I mean, yes, I can see that, but it was in the context of, you know, it's meant to be like a kind of rough outback commando kind of situation. Like it wasn't deliberately, for example, they weren't doing it in their undies. And I mean that's literally the, what happens on Fatty Loser. So except except when uh, when one guy I was going to say the fat guy when one guy uh, was was doing uh, like burpees or something and his pants fell down fell down and he just, yeah yeah keep and he going, just had to keep going yeah kick, kick them off rather than oh get your dignity back yeah yeah I'll give you an illustration though I think of the difference in tone between the two there was one instance where one of the women was really struggling and long story short Dipper. The Big mm. Dipper, Robert Dipper Domenico. Um, there was actually a very sweet moment where he kind of stopped and he said, basically, why, you know, don't doubt yourself. You're a lovely person. 
you know, you'll be a lovely person if you fin- even if you never lose a kilo or, you know, all these kind of affirming messages. <laughs> the same night on Fatty Loser, the contestants had the choice of not voting anybody off. Like for the first time in, in the history that I've seen it, they, could, they didn't have to vote anyone off. They chose to vote off a 20-year-old Indigenous girl who'd been orphaned and was deaf, was morbidly obese and had type 2 diabetes. And they went, you know what, you're not bloody trying hard enough. And they voted her off. And I thought the difference in tone between these two shows I'm visually is phenomenal. in shock, which you, yeah. the listener, cannot. Yeah. The moral superiority, even from these people who are themselves morbidly obese, we're talking 150 kilos plus, you know, pretty much all of them, sitting there going, oh, she hasn't even tried. In fact, there was a point at which the trainers found out they'd voted her off. And one of them was like, well, because she was lying about how much food she was eating. And he said, have you ever lied about how much food you're eating? Like, you don't get 260 kilos and be ashamed of it like you are. So ashamed that you'd go on TV and humiliate yourself and not lie about the fact that you like donuts. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's part of the process. This is this is what I don't understand as far as the psychology goes, mm. is that in, in Excess Baggage, there, there's this one guy who keeps saying he can't eat in public. Yes. His problems eating in public. You mean the young no, gay guy? Yeah, but yeah. he's no problems going on television. Oh, but it's completely different psychologically. I mean, there's plenty of performers who can perform and can't speak to you at a party. There's plenty of people on Big Brother who I imagine aren't, you know, particularly good with their social skills, but they're right in telly. This is where I disagree that they're as unethical as each other, though, because, again, coming back to... They're not focused on, oh, you're going to look so nice in your wedding dress or you weigh this number and you need to get down to this number. The way that they are actually judged on excess baggage is um, based on things like their blood pressure, their body percentage of body fat and their fitness. So they actually did a fitness test. So theoretically you could stay um, at being quite a big person but be like Dipper but be significantly fitter mm-hmm. than your average person. Now, you said before this, the ethics is one thing. Yes. We've kind of covered. The good TV aspect. Then there's the good TV aspect. So tell us what's... Well, the problem with excess baggage, I think, is twofold. One, the marketing's been shit. It started very good. But then in the first week, what is up Channel 9's ass? In the first week of their flagship program, they bumped it twice for the cricket. Now, we all know, as you know, TV lovers, 7 o'clock is your addictive TV spot. I mean, that's, that's your kind of regular. People get into a rhythm. You watch the same thing every night. You bump it twice in one week, especially when you've got another option, like The Biggest Loser. It's just too easy to go back to the other one. And this is part of their residual hair on fire problem at, at, at nine because yeah, yeah. they uh, they had to bump it because of the cricket, but initially it wasn't going to start airing until next week. Which is what they should have done. They pulled it two weeks early yeah. uh, because they wanted to compete with Fatty yeah. Loser, yeah. rather than uh, just letting it go for letting Fatty Loser go for a couple of weeks, letting people get sick of it, Which starting people are turning baggage. on anyway. Yeah, and I mean, it, I really did have flashbacks to the Sopranos days of you know this moving around a programming, everyone getting so angry, and there's various other shows that other people would have liked, particularly in that slot that's so competitive and is such a kind of nightly ritualized kind of thing to bump it for cricket. Then the reruns, you know, late at night to not even be the show, but actually reruns. Oh, mm-hmm. without so, any warning. And then the next day to have an hour and a half. And then the next day to have an hour. And the problem with that, John, I reckon, is that what's missing in the narrative of excess baggage that you have in Biggest Loser thus far is the money shot. And the money shot's the way in, it's the progress. So the way in, which is yeah. part of the massive ethical problem. Yeah. That's what people like. The bit that makes it... That's, ex- that's the highest rating show right. of, of the week. And that, that's the Sunday night. That's the, although they're not doing it Sunday nights anymore either, which oh. is beyond fathomable. Like, it's YTT. So they only do four nights a week, which I also think is a mistake. But with Excess Baggage, we haven't seen any progress yet. So we haven't seen Christine Arnoux, you know, do her push-ups and she can do 10 now. Or we haven't seen Dipper, he can run faster. Or someone's waist circumference smaller. And for most people, unless I'm just assuming most people have a more generous spirit than they do, you actually want them to succeed. Like, you want to see them get fitter, slimmer, uh, feel better, whatever it is. And we haven't seen that yet. But even then, like you're saying, it's not really that much of a money shot, is it? Like when you go, oh, Dipper, you can run a bit faster than you could before. That's like patronising your children rather than actual entertainment. 
Um, well, we get to see. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, I suppose the way in, and this is the problem with, you know, when you see someone get on the scales, like there's a guy and it's, you know, it is terribly sad that he, he's literally, I think it's 240 kilos or something. You get him up on scales and he's lost 10 kilos and there's part of me going oh that's wrong like you're not meant to lose that much you're just going to make you fatter in the long run and blah blah blah. the other part of me goes oh isn't that great for him you know he's got 100 kilos to lose you're in this kind of conflict i don't think all the viewers are mind you (laughs) but for me i'm sitting there in this conflicted thing terence what access baggage needs what access baggage needs is these these moments preferably on the friday or whatever Mm. in which every participant something goes you know what i don't need this show i'm a better person than you yes fuck well, you channel nine and they walk know? off and, and that would actually be quite i think rewarding like for for, for, a, for a viewer you go have you oh, seen you've taken control of your life on biggest loser do that no this is why i refer to it as bullying because they had i can't remember i never know their names but there's a blonde girl on it who's hot by the way you know who gives a shit if she's fat and she talked back to one of the trainers and she got kicked out of the dojo. You know, like seriously talked to her like she was, you know, four years old. It's that whole conflation of obesity with stupidity. Like you can only get fat because you're not very bright and you must be lazy and you don't know what you're doing and all this superiority shit. And she actually did fight back, but she literally got kicked out. You know, so it's, they learn very quickly, like you do when you're bullied, to stop talking back. You know, and that's, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Nellie Thomas, you have a book coming out in April. And I discuss obesity. And you discuss obesity (laughs) in the book. Smooth. Great. Queen of the segue. (laughs) Uh, uh, I just seem relevant. And a baby baby coming out in August. uh, We can expect that in stores then as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a competition to name the baby, isn't there? (laughs) There is. Only from HBO series. Currently in the lead is Swage and Cocksucker. (laughs) Great. So hopefully it'll be a girl. Uh, the book, the book. What's it called? When's it available? It's called What Women Want, and it will be out the end of uh, March. Nellie Thomas, thank you so much. My pleasure. Is the coffee? I so want there to be coffee, Andy. I might have gone mad. What sort of world would have this? Wow. That is an excellent use of chiaroscuro. What? What? No! Look at the look at the naked black lady in a wheelchair. That's right. Yeah, I had noticed that, Max. Then why aren't you shocked? Why aren't you freaking out? Why am I freaking out? And you're not freaking out. Why am I freaking out about it? Do you think do you think she's been forced into it? Do you think she's been blackmailed? I would have thought you of all people would have had a problem with lady parts. I am a doctor. I have seen all this before. As for Rainer pictures, well, Max, a woman's sexuality is like the Amazon. I don't know much about it and I've no interest in going there, but if some other plucky explorer wants to push their canoes up those moist byways, I say Godspeed. It's, it's, it's like walking in on your parents. I've never done a guy in a wheelchair. How is that possible? Deaf, blind, midget... Might have been a dwarf, Parkinson's. It's not a set. They're not Pokemon. Paul Island is is an actor who look. You you might have seen him in some other stuff on the ABC, but you're really going to recognise him as the asshole from the slap. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, that's not narrowing it down. <laughs> I just based that character on every producer I've ever come across and every TV job I've done. You know what I mean? So there you go. But uh, but but you also played the Doctor in Outland. I, the doctor, yes, I play the surgeon. That's, Andy. Yes. Yes. That's, that's strangely formal, isn't it? <laughs> that's how that's that's how I know which one's which by what job they do. Right, because otherwise they're so hard to tell they're apart. They're so hard to tell apart. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all identical except he wears a stethoscope all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so hang on, are you are you the one in the wheelchair then? Is that yes, the- I'm the indigenous person in the in, in, oh. uh, that runs the art gallery. Uh, so yes, Paul Island, welcome to Box Cutters. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Do you know lesbians in Seattle? They find you so hot. Well, you are so hot to lesbians in Seattle. Really? You really are. Really? Yeah, alarming. Anyway, let's go back one step, because I actually wanted to ask you, you've had quite a long career in the UK before you came here. I wanted to ask you about The Bill, because, you know, that played on the ABC every 20 minutes for about 38 years there for a bit. Yeah, sadly gone now. Sadly gone. You played four different characters in The Bill. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> how far apart do you, I'm just curious, as um, an actor, how, how do you get the call, and... 
Uh, you and will. how often? Everyone. The bill, the bill back home is like a casualty. Do you know what I mean? Everyone does it. You know, even all the, like big famous British actors have always done the bill. They've always done a casualty, and it's like it's like your grounding place where you come out of drama school. We go right. We'll, we'll learn to do TV in the crappy shows. <laughs> Basically, the bill and casualty, and and um, so I get my. F- that was my first job out of drama school. My first, the first time I did it was my first job out of drama school. That was in 1995. You played Ian McKendrick. It, who was a, a football player who got run over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. He, was, he got run over by an agent because he'd left the agent. And so, <laughs> so I spent doing the whole episode in a hospital bed. But... Which is also great training for casualty. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> casualty's got the natural next step, you know. So, do you remember much of the role then? So, you're you in a hospital no, bed and yeah. No, listen. I was like, I was out with mates the night before, right? We're in Camden Town. We're we're walking around. Then we end up having a bit of lunch. Then we had a few drinks. Then we get really pissed. And then I woke up the next day, going, "Oh fucking hell! Oh, my, this is my first TV job. I've got, and I'm late. So I'm late. I'm phoning my mates. I'm telling my mates, phone them up. I'm getting on the tube. And I'm, I'm on the tube as fast as phone them up and tell them the car's broke down. I'll be there as soon as I can. So I eventually get there. My, everything, I, I'll go off the tube down south um, London. Everything is running out my hand and falls out my hands. I'm getting out the tube. Have to jump the tube, um, run over. The guy's shouting after me. I'm running down the street, get in there, apologising to absolutely everyone when I get in there. I'm like, oh god, it's all right, Paul. You're here now. Just sit down. Get in your bed. Get in your um, gown. And I'm sitting there. I'm going, right. I'm fine, fine, thanks. And just as we're about to start shooting, I'm like, (laughs) Druth from the drink from the night before, and I take this big jug of water that's sitting next to the hospital bed. And I spill it all over my costume. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fucking hell, this can't go any worse. And then the former agent the next day, and they banned me from the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Said he'll never work in the bill again. But I've done it three times after well, that. Well, because so. well, then, yeah, three years later, you were back as Joey Abbott <laughs> yeah. in Up for Trouble. So, but what was Joey Abbott? I can't remember. Well, I was going to ask Joey you, Abbott so yeah, this, this is my question, basically. You've done the bill four times. Do you remember who the characters were, and how did you approach them? Did you make them different to each other? Or I remember no the first one because um, it was my first job after leaving, after leaving grammar school. Um, TV job, yeah. And um, I remember the last one. Because I had to run down naked in this, down the street away from the cops, jump over a fence and run <laughs> naked down the street, and then turn and face them and start fighting with them. Uh, the two in between. Oh, one one was a a heroin addict who broke into a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just like default. Isn't it? That's, that's like they're not trying at the and, mill. Uh, I can't remember the other one. I don't know. <laughs> Because I've seen you prepare your work too when you, when you were acting when you were on Outland like you're a very prepared actor and you make all these notes and and you're you're quite intense with with how you approach this. Uh, that's just for show for other people around me. I've fucking not got a clue what's going on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was talking with the bill like how seriously do you take a, a an appearance in the bill? Oh oh any part you take seriously I think you know it's you at the end of the day that's up there. And, you know, one of those little parts is an actor just out of drama school, you go, fuck, fuck, I really shine in this. People might notice it, even though they never do, but <laughs> you think that in your small mind of an actor come out of drama school and go, God, this could be great, this could be my big break. And But, you know. This could be my ticket to casualty. <laughs> yes. Where you played Damien Yarrow, Ewan Campbell, and Chris <laughs> Gemston. <laughs> all in the one bed? Yeah. All in the same episode. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> You're making hold on. He's making my my career back in Britain look absolutely shit. I did a lot more stuff than that. <laughs> you did. You did. So there's pages of stuff here. This is uh, Two Thousand Acres of Sky and Judge John Deed and uh, Little Miss Jocelyn, which amazed me. I didn't know you were you were uh, in that. Me, we did a play together, mm-hmm. and we became best friends. And she kept asking me to come in and be funny with her, but I could never be funny. With her. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if listeners can tell, but you've got a slight accent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Ballarat. You're from Ballarat. <laughs> He's from Ballarat, but he's been drinking. How? As, <laughs> as an actor from Ballarat, he clearly sounds so Balloratian. Yes. Uh, but when you get uh, when you get cast in big city roles, big city roles. <laughs> as, as as someone from Scotland who who has such a strong accent, uh, how 
how do you find getting cast in in Australian roles? Do do you think people think oh well then we then we have to he, he's got an accent. He's John. He's he's got an accent. We're going to have to write a backstory about how he got the accent. Mm, um, are you asking John or are you asking me? No, I'm pre- I'm, I'm pretending with John like where oh you 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 writers okay and, yeah um, yeah I reckon you're probably right. I reckon that, and people go you you get this guy in. He's a really good actor. So they might not say that, but you know, I pretend that they say that. <laughs> but but you are you are a really good actor. I'm all right. You, I think you, I get, you, you I, cope. I used to be better, and then I get worse, and then I got better again, and then it's up up and down. But I think so I think they do because. But I, my my God, man, the the whole thing about the world is such a small place now. I've got friends in America who use their accent, Ashley Jensen and stuff, and and um, there's a good mate of mine from back home and. You know, an ugly Betty. She's Scottish. That's in America. You know, they. You know, it's like who cares if if it if it fits. If a guy fits the role, or she fits the role, or you fit the role, who cares about the accent? Doesn't really matter, does it? Unless it's you know, it's been written to say, well, he was born there, and there was some sort of like story that really matters that they've got an Australian accent or an American accent. I did notice in Neighbours, which we'll, yeah, we'll get to it in a second, uh, because you've been in Neighbours, but there's also one of the other characters in Neighbours. He has a, what I found to be the world's bizarrest accent to a point where I actually went and looked it up on Wikipedia because I couldn't work out what the hell he was. He's a Scottish actor. He moved over here from, from Scotland when he was 13. Yeah. In the story, I think, I'm not sure, I know, what you, I know what you're saying, but in the story, I think he's meant to have lived in Scotland he for He apparently a while. has lived in Scotland and come, yeah, and come back. Yeah. The funny thing is, though... He's he, Paul Robinson's son. Paul Robinson's son. You're there playing a Scottish character. That's not a problem for me at all. He's playing a character who has a, a half-Australian, half-Scottish accent, and I just find it really unnerving, and I had to keep... I know, it, but then... That would happen as well, wouldn't it? Because if you live in a country and you've come from Scotland and then you live, you've lived here, he's now 23 or something, so he's lived here for 10 years, so you'd still have a, til- a little of your, your original accent and then what you live with, because that happens to people. You know, how many people go to America, LA, you know, and like come back on, hey man, you know, like, you know, it happens. How long have you been in Australia for now then? Just over three years. Oh, okay. So not enough time for your accent to be... I think I sound really Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I phoned back home and go, God, you sound so Australian, Paul. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Keep, keep me on the, on the can't accent. understand me. <laughs> keep me on the accent thing, but, but going the, the counter aspect, do you see Australians on Australian TV doing Scottish accents and get annoyed? And think I could have got that. Do wrong. you know what? Do you know? Don't, I, I, fuck! I can't believe you've asked me this question. Right? <laughs> I've, every part, the part, main parts that I've been f- up for in this country have been like really good ones. Have been Scottish characters. I'm like fuck! I mean, we shout here, man. I've got to get this. Never nailed one of them. <laughs> Never got one of them. <laughs> Never got one of them. There's a new bikey thing coming out. Um, Brothers in Arms or something. And the main guy's a Scottish bikey. Some. Mozzie dude got it. And then the cop and razor. I thought, oh, I've nailed this. The producers quite like me and like um for the underbelly series. And some New Zealand dude got it. And I'm like, fucking <laughs> hell, what's going on here? But any other part that's not re- doesn't require to be Scottish, I sort of like I can I get them. You're you just know. you're just unconvincing as a yeah. Scot- <laughs> <laughs> He's not <laughs> Scottish, he's putting that on. The, the the role of Andy, which he played Outland, was actually written to be uh, yeah, an Aussie bloke. That's what we were looking for, a really Aussie kind of bloke. And, was it? And all these Aussie blokes kept coming in and and it was really weird because they'd be absolutely brilliant when you were just chatting to them. And they'd start the audition and turn Royal Shakespearean Company. We were going, no, no, not that. We want you to be like you were when you walked in. Yeah. Which I think is why we called you back 700 times yeah. before we... I want to know. I was, I was thinking about this. And I, th- I, was, I was hoping this might come up, right? And I was wondering, and I want you to be completely and utterly honest, because you would be in the back sort of like seat of the, the cold casting process. And I, I went in for it. And I did the good audition firsthand and went, yeah, that went, that went all right. Then I got a recall, and I went back in, and I went, and I went, I walked out, and my, my agent called me, and I went, she went, oh, Paul, the MTC have just offered you something. I'm like, well, that's good, because fucking hell, I just blew that fucking edition. That was crap. But then they recalled me again, and again, and I, I'm like, someone doesn't like me. Uh, at one point. Who didn't like me? I think at one point it was every 20 minutes, wasn't it? We had you coming in every 20 minutes to audition. <laughs> I was, no I was, food, no water, every 24 hour period. I was thinking in the back of my head, these guys are having a joke. They're going to be, the show's going to be on TV. <laughs> and they're still calling me back, and I'm like, like a little puppy going, oh, I've got this job, but it's actually bland. <laughs> we were running out of script for you to audition with. <laughs> so why, so wh- who didn't like me? I want to no, know. No, who, no, come on. Do you know the really, the really weird thing? It was actually because you were not what we perceived the character to be. 
but I think you were clearly the best person doing it. So you were, just, you're still trying for Brian Brown. To well, get well, it, we were still hoping some really Aussie yeah. bloke was going to come in and just nail yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and and it and it it was weird because Paul was clearly the best person for the job, and we were. It took us a while. No, he's Scottish. We well, can't give it to him. I think it just took us a while to kind of yeah, because also you're you've got a slight more. Um, I think self-controlled intensity and we'd seen the character as being more of a kind of like ah you know and it was just that thing of, of we had to get used to you I think being well, the lucky character. you did that isn't it and you're really <laughs> good and that's the thing in my head now I, I barely remember what we thought Andy was supposed to be because now Andy is you and that's so yeah. so in your show in your show about like in, in producing your show about gay science fiction fans you had to overcome your own prejudices <laughs> against Scottish people <laughs> yeah that's, no but just just against your your own preconceived ideas of what of what somebody would be like the whole casting was like that though because we, we did have a whole bunch of ideas of I mean Ben Gerard who plays Toby who is amazing amazing I, I love just, him. Yeah, I he's love him. Incredible, fine, incredible actor. Not remotely who that character was supposed to be, but again, so utterly right for it. And yeah. so then, do, do you have to change your writing to a little to, bit? Do, I think there was to... some. I think I did alter some of Andy's stuff. Yeah, once just Paul, to ten minutes in. before you're about. I'm about to say it mostly, wasn't it, John? <laughs> just, just to write, write it in bro. Now that you... wasn't my fault. <laughs> There, there were certain legal reasons we had to keep changing stuff, and at least one of them was on put one of but Paul's best speeches. But there were big speeches. speeches. Yeah. Because oh. I thought it would be great to give Andy these massive speeches. I thought it was part of his character, was that he would give these <laughs> huge, meaningful speeches. Well, because that's, uh, that's go the for a page thing. and a half in one <laughs> shot. I thought that would be... <laughs> that's the great thing about Andy, about Andy as a character. He's, he is the guy who knows most about life. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's had the most experience in life because his whole philosophy of life is experience everything everything yeah and uh and so while everybody else is kind of living in their own uh little closed off worlds andy's just trying to experience everything so he's in the best position to to give these giant speeches andy's actually also the 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 hero of the story or at least he's, he's the most balanced character in the show which you don't notice which i quite like like you think it's max but Andy, even though you know he's trussed up to the ceiling with his bits hanging out, <laughs> yeah, when they find him in episode three, yeah. he's still the one who's got everything together. <laughs> like, he's still the most. He's still very optimistic in that moment, isn't yes. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, he's just a very optimistic guy. Yeah, and I think Andy's he plays that in every sort of aspect of his life. You know, everything he does, it's just, you know, it's positive. And again, optimistic and Scots not really a thing we think of in the one <laughs> breath. <laughs> Are you an optimistic kind of guy? Um. Yeah, got to be really being an actor, sort of going for nearly I don't know how long now. How long? Ninety five was uh, Nin- the bill. Ninety five was a bill. Yeah. Well, I was just out that year. So how long? Seventeen, 17 years. years. Yeah. Do you watch yourself? Do you watch your own work? Um, no, I've I've not watched any of like Neighbours. I've, I've watched some of it. I've, I've been on that for I've been in, in March and I've been on it right until December. I've been in for twelve weeks. And then they kept getting me back and back and back. I've not really watched anyone because, I don't know, they're, I mean, up there, they're a brilliant bunch of people. It's a great place to work. I, never, I could never, never envisage myself working up there in my life doing Neighbours. But they're a, they're a brilliant bunch of people, and I loved it up there. Oh, you play Superintendent Duncan Hayes in Neighbours, and I did watch some, and I, I, just, I was enjoying your character so much, because as far <laughs> as I can tell... Your character exists to turn up just before the ad break and say, I think you better accompany me down to the station. <laughs> no, but I am a superintendent, right? But I'll turn up at people's houses saying, your, fu- your, ha- your car's just went in fire, I want to know. And I'm like, I'm a superintendent. I'm a superintendent. <laughs> you wouldn't even get a beat cop doing that. Yeah, yeah, you do turn up personally to take people down to the station. I, I also you know, love- it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of like little touch, little personal that's, touch that's, I like to. That's Victorian police. Yes. That's Victorian police all over. <laughs> but what about the, the slap? What about, I mean... Do you, do you watch your own work to try and see how it comes across? How bad I am and how I could improve it the next time? Well, that's exactly why I listen to this show every week. <laughs> I mean, where did I fuck up? Uh, oh, God, <laughs> did I say that? Um, did I do it that way? Why did they let me get away with that? Why does my face look like that? Because yeah, like, I, I, I've no I idea. Sure, I, always, I always do this. When I do see myself, I go... God, shut your mouth. Please shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. You still got it open. Shut your mouth. Mm. Oh, I did it. Too late, though. You're, you're two minutes too late. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I do things like that, yeah. But everyone I know, every, all my family love watching it, and I try it, and they've always, they always sort of sit me down and get me to watch it. Has anyone, uh, has, has anyone ever, ever told you 
your shit. Yeah. <laughs> has, has it, well, do you know what? Never. There you go. Never. No. Until until amongst your friends and family. Yeah. When, very rarely, because I'm I'm pretty always sort of like half decent. I'm never really shit, but. Recently, my brother-in-law was, um, he was round and he was pretty drunk. He was pretty sort of loose. And he went to me, he uh, goes, yeah, they were, they were having a discussion about stuff. And he went, yeah, in that, in the slap, Paul, when you were in that, he goes, you were shit in that. You were really shit. And I'm like, I'm like why? Why was it, you know, I'm, what you understand, why he thought I was shit. I'm like, you know, it's his opinion. It's his, uh, and it was, uh, you just, I don't know, you're, you're just shit. You could have done so much better with that. And I'm like, <laughs> All right. I mean, it wasn't that big a part. <laughs> well, I'm thinking you were two scenes. Five. You had to yell at somebody in a room and then yell at somebody in a corridor. Well, maybe maybe he was thinking I should have played it more subtle and not yelled at them and tried to get it through sort of like in, a, in a different way. I don't know, but but, but so so. But I've seen he's a, he's a carpenter and I've seen some of his sloppy work. <laughs> and just wait till I get round to the next place he's working on. Paul Allen, we we look forward to, to more work. Where are you doing more work? They should put you in more things. No, I've decided to um, retire and um, yeah. on top. That's good. That's good. <laughs> no, Come yeah, out of I'm about for to. Do, I'm about, I've got a little part coming up in a film. Uh, called Blinder. It's a football film, an Aussie rules football film. Uh, I've got a little part on that. I've got a part coming up in a thing called Missy's Biggs. It's about Ronnie Biggs's wife. Ooh, Ooh, fun. Tiny little part, though. And a thing, in, a good, nice part in a thing filming in Sydney uh, called Devil's Dust. It's all about John Hardy um, company that did all the asbestos and oh, Bernie yeah. Batten and stuff and the, the whole court case. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, we we look we look forward to those, and we also look forward to anything else you might be appearing on on Australian screens in the next six weeks. Or, or uh, that, Wednesday. that might be Outland <laughs> over the next six weeks. Okay, it's it's not over the entirety of the, of the six weeks though. Just putting out to it's listeners a, who think that's a bit much. It's a lot of it, especially if you have iView. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. Pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me, Mister Rebecca. Superintendent, how can I help you? We'd like to come down to the station to answer some questions regarding a recent incident. This is about Chris Pappas. I take it you know he was attacked. He's been taken to hospital in a critical condition, which, as I'm sure you'll understand, makes our inquiries all the more urgent. Yeah, sure. Sure, you don't mind if I go? They just want a statement or something? This is not a request, Mr. Rebecca. We want you to come to the station regarding some serious allegations that have been made against you. You're just joining Box Cutters late on in the program. It's it's a podcast. You can just go back to the beginning and start and start again. No, no, no. People may be just joining us now, Josh. Oh, if someone's like the, if a taxi listening. driver, if a taxi driver is listening to it, no, 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 no. People listen over over days. D- do they? They really do. Really, people, people actually will listen to one episode over the you know the week and a half it takes to get through the seven hours of. Material. Well, that's that's commitment. I've tuned out already. <laughs> uh, so look, I. I don't think we should mention that Outland starts uh, Wednesday night on ABC One at nine thirty PM because I, I think that's just uh, that's just a, a it's treating our audience like they're idiots as if they didn't know right right uh, and B I think it's a conflict of interest for you John okay uh, and it's a conflict of interest for Brett because he uh, works with you on this show right can I give you my real one thing is it not Outland at nine thirty on nine thirty on Wednesday night. On ABC Two, Pablo's Hippos. It actually looks really good. <laughs> you can't um, watch Pablo's Hippos. That's just ridiculous. It's about uh, the hippos and and the rest of the possessions of Pablo Escobar and, uh, and his freewheeling, oh, out of control sake. life. But I will be recording both of them <laughs> on videotape on your VHS. On the VHS and, uh, and watch Outland live and I view it straight after. Thing about Outland, plenty of bears, no hippos. <gasps> in a cage, bears and hippos get them together. In the box cutters dome. <laughs> That's what Channel Nine should have been doing instead of excess baggage. <laughs> bears bears versus, versus hippos. hippos. Seven PM every night for a week. 
<laughs> just carnage and zoos. <laughs> Ethically, there's nothing wrong with it. John, you're... <laughs> John, you're, you're really nervous about this, aren't you? you oh, well, it's you're... just... It's because we were saying the ABC's been keeping it a state secret. <laughs> there's been virtually no ads on the actual ABC. <laughs> really? There's no Outland tram. There's a straits tram. <laughs> there's a straits tram. Um, are there, oh, we'll talk about straits, though. I know this is going to pork, but but show us your bit of paper there, Brett. Hang on. Can we, can we say we, we've done one thing? It's 9.30pm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not even putting your thing on the website, Brett. That's just... <laughs> just watch Outland, for God's sake. I view it. offensive to Paul Island, our guest. I view it again and again and again. That's what I'm saying. I'll have to tweet my one thing. <laughs> hey, um... When I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Now, John, I know you want to talk about this this straights thing, but can you just can you just? There's someone someone under the table. Oh. Oh God, Nelly, you're still here. I'm um, Nelly. Have you just come in for pork? Tasty pork. Tasty, tasty pork. George Columbaris, you're a big fan. Yeah. Big fan. Columbaris. I heard he got into a little bit of trouble uh, last November uh, in terms of his restaurant. And the wages. The wages. The fracas. Did that change your opinion of him at all? Do you know what? It did. It actually did. And I, one of the first things I thought, because I have my box cutter's you know, brain on, was, oh, the PR people at MasterChef must be spewing. The last thing your mainstream audience wants to hear is some rich guy who owns 417,000 restaurants going, I can't afford to pay my casual staff properly. And when MasterChef comes on mm. later this year, are yeah. you going to watch it? Are you going to be able to watch the episodes with him in? It wouldn't make me boycott it, but I think the problem is there's a, there's a critical tipping point, isn't there? Because I already was starting to go off. You know I've loved MasterChef in the past, but... The kids, last Kids MasterChef, I didn't even watch it through. Like, I just kind of went, nah, I'm kind of getting over this a little bit. Then something like that happens. It just just tips you a little bit further away of kind of going, if there's something else on, I'll watch it. But they haven't gone to university for seven years. Why should no, they be on right. the, on the, on the triple time paid? sometimes on Sundays? So ridiculous. It's but it's definitely they bad for their image. Because yeah. they're so clearly... Very moneyed, the three of them. Mm. You know, so Matt, George, and Gary have all are all doing very well. And you know, and he, came, on he came from nowhere to to start bitching about uh, the the, uh, the rates for the Sundays, Sunday public holidays in particular. Yeah, and it just just so he could say, oh, it's triple time. They get triple time all the fucking time. Of MasterChef, you're just like, I know you're rich, dude. You know, like it just it it definitely turns me off. Like I say, it's not saying I'd boycott a show over. But it's, I'm at that point now with MasterChef where I think if there's something else good on at seven, I'll be watching that. Well, thank you very much. Get out now. We've got to finish the show. Under the Welcome. table. Under the no, table. No, out. Just whatever. Just, just, oh, God. And now, can we talk about this straights thing? Yeah, she's gone. Well, uh, Brett's brought it in. This was um, a wraparound. Now, was it wraparound or insert? No, no, it was insert. It was uh, right uh, on the back of the front section of the age on Thursday. So it was outside of the green guide. And it's a four-page, as in age-style page, a you know, broadsheet. Um, broadly, broadly sheet. Straights. Uh, advertising thing that looks like a real newspaper and has articles about the characters. Full of faux articles about what's going on in the straits. And, and it's not helping the straits, is it? The straits didn't rate that well. It wasn't It wasn't what anyone expected, especially not for this amount of... Uh, I also... Because I'm fairly sure the straits got the cover of the Green Guide that week, didn't they? Yes. I'm just wondering yep. if there's questions there that I shouldn't be asking. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's odd, isn't it? It's odd. I can't work out, is this clever and brilliant, and or is this just a very, very expensive use of taxpayers' dollars? I, I, I think it's the latter. If if uh, the ABC paid for it and not the production company, or maybe they went halvesies or or something like that, but it is it is a very expensive piece of advertising. But as we, as we discussed with the uh, producer, Penny Chapman, last week, um, they are trying really hard to, to capture an audience that isn't uh, historically known for their ABC viewing habits. So maybe they're, they're just trying to throw out everywhere so that they can get those, you know, 20, 20 to 40-year-old 
guys watching the show. But is the age then the right place to be doing that? Wouldn't yeah. the Herald how did, Sun how did you be... even get? How did you even get a copy of that? Who buys the age? I bought the, just for just for the Green Guide. I buy the age on Thursdays. I read it in cafes. I see my my usual cafe normally has it, but it, it they haven't had it since Christmas. I don't know. They've got they've doubled up on Herald Suns. It's, oh, I hate that. Oh, I'm a cafe so with, with slumming it with Herald Suns and no age. Don't and I've, don't, I've, don't go there. I've spoken to the owners, but they roast their own coffee at Shopo at Shopo in the right. mall. They roast their own coffee, and yet they can't get a copy of the agent. We have eighteen mm. days to go on our uh, crowdfunding. Uh, project on Possible, boxcutters.possible.com. And uh, th- there are still four crumpler bags left at $100 uh, at the time of, uh, of recording this. Four crumpler bags. That's $100. a discount of more than 30%. More than 30%. Mm-hmm. And they're a good bag. Mm. And uh, and people started getting their bags in the last couple of weeks, and they love them. Also, thank you to, to helping Brett and Josh leave the country. I think that's, that's it's amazing that, yeah. You just, you just can't wait for us to, to be gone. I'm you? so excited. You just, you're Party gonna in have, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I'm just amazed that it worked. <laughs> well, no, no, we asked them for money and they gave us money. I just, who would have thought? It's because we're valued. But also, thanks so much to Crumpler, who who have just been so great, basically giving us five thousand dollars worth of bags. I know. That's Everyone's just, awesome. That's ev- the point of the story. Everyone is wonderful. It's yeah. my heart has been so warmed right into its cockles. There, there are moments that I've been thinking about this and just going, people, people are lovely. Yeah, people that, are that's, lovely. That's the thing. People yeah. are really lovely. Yeah. So they're not all just watching. Fat people fall down in the dirt. No, no. I, I hope most of them aren't. Telegram. <laughs> Two letters. I thought that's 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 a shove them into the pork. Uh, from Simon. Simon says this was via the blog. The official what Josh got wrong this week, also known as the reason Toby needs to be googling constantly to check he hasn't got anything wrong, was Lana Perilla was indeed on Spin City. However, she wasn't in the series at the beginning as Michael J. Fox's girlfriend. She appeared in the first Charlie Sheen series, Series 5. Michael J. Fox's short-lived girlfriend was a reporter played by the much better-known Carla Gugina. Josh's lack of awareness of Carla Gugina is one of those things that makes me occasionally want to slap him. This has been your occasional Why Josh Needs to be Googled Constantly reminder. Thanks, Simon. So there you go. Do you remember talking about this? I do. I do. Week? I do. Rem- I do remember talking about it, and uh, and quite frankly, in my memory, those two people are identical. Uh, and then finally, the the actual email that came in, which I thought was quite interesting, was from David Shee, who says, "Thanks for your recommendation of Black Mirror on a recent show. It's brilliant. The curious thing is, though, that it's neither IMDb or Wikipedia mention it as being a science fiction show. IMDb calls it a comedy drama horror, while Wikipedia calls it thriller drama satire." Seriously, horror and comedy? What shows were they watching? I also sampled about four reviews in the English press, and only one of them mentioned it being part sci-fi. To me, episodes two and three of Black Mirror are about the most pure science fiction I've ever seen on television, dealing with the hypothetical impacts of science and technology developments on society. Meanwhile, I've seen the Transformers and Batman movies repeatedly referred to as science fiction, even though they're just action fantasy films with no real SF concepts. It seems that these days, if it doesn't have robots or spaceships in it, isn't sci-fi. What the bloody hell? Cheers. David. And that, that second episode of, of Black Mirror is actually the thing like most like THX 1138 that, that I've seen on television. Yeah, I, I, the, the reason I wanted to read that out is I think he's absolutely right. I think did, I, did I get that wrong? Is it 1138? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Is it the second one where they have to cycle for points? Yeah. yeah. And I think David's quite right. And I think it's interesting because there is that thing of if uh, science fiction seems to be now seen as a fairly derogatory comment and if you try and, yeah, this is good television so clearly it can't be science fiction. And has to be deemed to be something else. I, well, I think it. I think it opens up. I don't think the first episode's necessarily that. The first isn't. Fiction. No, no, no. Yeah. So it's but because it's because it's so different from episode to episode. But I episodes think that two and three are definitely stick with what they. But they, I wouldn't say comedy. See, for I don't, any of I don't know how they were promoting it in the UK. Uh, if they it's were just not, talking about the first episode, then yeah. it's not a sci-fi. It's, it's not. It's not a comedy. It is. It is very very dark. It is it is dark uh, social satire. So depressed about where society's at, I think. But it's not yeah. it's not comedy, and, and I think that difference between satire and comedy is not really understood by by a lot of crit- critics either. Uh, so yeah, it is it is social satire. It is it is it's biting social satire, uh, and definitely science fiction. A little bit of horror. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of horror there, but there's a little bit of horror in science fiction. I mean, that's but so I it makes the world go round. But I think these are things. You know, we got told when we were doing copyright clearances for Outland that Doctor Who is not science fiction; it's a family drama. So by whom? I, by the BBC. So I think there is actually a thing of, you know, <laughs> one doesn't one doesn't refer to the science fiction genre. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode two hundred and ninety three. I want to say thanks very much to Nelly Thomas for coming in. Stay and uh, just don't come up. Just stay. Thanks very much to Nelly Thomas for coming in and talking about excess baggage and uh, and and uh, fatty loser. Thanks also to Paul Ireland for coming in and talking about whatever it was he was talking about. Oh, I didn't he's understand an a bloody word, isn't he? Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday one, nine thirty, nine thirty. Yeah, isn't that uh, his thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Paul Ireland. I didn't understand a single thing he said. Uh, but there are subtitles. Until next week, my name is Josh Kanal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Kanal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. I wanted to tell my story about um, my friend catching me hoovering my oven this morning. (laughs) (laughs) I um, I was doing my hoovering in housework today, this afternoon, as you do, I'm a bit of a house husband. And I'd, already, I'd arranged to meet my uh, my mate for lunch, and I, so I was, I was doing hoovering and stuff, and so I left the door open. Do you know how in Australia you've got those mesh doors to stop these sort of mosquitoes getting in? Mm-hmm. So I, fly screen. I, I, yeah, fly screen thing. And so I left that, I shut, opened my door and left that open, so if the hoover was on, I could hear me. So I'm hoovering away, and I get to the oven, and I thought, oh God, I need to clean that oven out. I'm like, all right, so because so, it's a, I just uh, I just bought a new oven, right? So do you know your new <laughs> just got a new oven? So that, that, that new oven smell. Yeah, well, yeah, I, they, they used to have, and I'm thinking, shit, it's getting like cheese and grease and stuff in the bottom of it. I thought, I don't want this to get really bad, like my old oven. <laughs> so I start scraping it with the um, a, a scraper thing, and it was just, and it's, I'm like, oh. So I I decided instead of getting all this stuff that cloth, now I started hoovering, started hoovering it all up in the oven, and but my mate had walked in to, I was going to meet him for lunch and he's, he caught me with the hoover in the oven going and he's going what are you doing and I'm like I'm hoovering up the oven and, like, and I'm thinking to myself like, this is some sort of fetish thing got. Like, he does this I'm like no it's just because it's a new oven and I'm doing it because he's going yeah right mate you do this all the time <laughs> I thought that was quite funny but trying to explain to him that it was I didn't do it all the time and stuff and he didn't believe me anyway my oven Hoover story. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.